Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Welcome to episode 18 of Our World According to Flint, changing, shifting gears a little bit this week and honored, I will say honored to welcome a man that I'll, I'll call him a friend. He's the uh, former host of the Will Kane show on ESPN radio, of which I was a big fan. Now one of the hosts of Fox and Friends Weekend and the new Will Kane podcast, by the way. And every once in a while, I catch him babysitting Stuart Varney on Fox Business in the morning. Our friend, and he's coming to us from Texas, Mr. Will Kane. Will, honored. Thank you for taking Thank the time. You. We appreciate it. So good to see hey, you. Hey, Flint, man. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be here. The honor is mine. Yeah, and I like, before we came on, you said, whatever direction we want to go. And I never really know. I mean, you know, you. I, I do want to tell you this story. Here's my icebreaker okay. story. Uh, it, it was, I guess, probably three, four years ago, and I'm at uh, the PBR Professional Bull Riders event in Madison Square Garden, and it, it's a. We're there on a Sunday morning. We have a Sunday afternoon performance, and our PR people come to me, say, "Hey, Flint, uh, can you do a a little Q and A for a bunch of kids? It's a birthday party." There's about 10 little kids. And I got to be honest with you, Will. I said, what the hell? We're doing birthday parties now? What are, <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, yeah. Oh, just do it. And and we get up there and I call the girl over. I say, who's this for? Like, oh, it's a guy named Will Kane. I went, Will Kane? From, and so I was excited at that point. And you walked up and said, Flint, big fan thrill of my week in new york city so thanks for doing the birthday party oh man i love that story let me tell you about it from the other side of the equation so i had been hosting at various points during the years cowboys from the pbr on the will kane show on espn radio as you guys came to madison square garden and every year not totally unrelated, not coincidentally, I take my son to that event for his birthday. His birthday is January 2nd. You guys are always there at the mm -hmm. beginning of January. And having grown up in Texas, look, Western culture is a big part of my life. I can't say I've ever strapped onto a bull myself, but I've always wanted to. The next best thing I could do was get my son there for his birthday. Yeah. So here's the background. My sons go to a charter school in New York City. Um, my oldest son, whose birthday it was, goes to school in Harlem. So a lot of his friends are minority kids who grow up in Harlem. And if you'll remember that birthday party, there's about 10 kids, mm -hmm. a lot of them black and brown kids who had never been to a rodeo in their life. And we stroll in and you've got yourself, several cowboys who showed them what it was like, yeah. showed them the equipment, took them behind the scenes to the shoots to see the bulls. And it was an absolutely eye-opening time of their life experience. I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate it. And I just thought it was so cool to bring those two worlds together. Yeah. I, I do remember this about, it was your son. How old would he have been? It was his. Not, I'm going to say probably his 10th birthday. 10th, it feels I like think it, was it was about was. three years ago. Yeah. Uh, those kids were good. I remember, you know, I, I don't necessarily cater everything to kids. They asked some good questions. They, it was yeah. a fun, I remember it being a, a fun little experience. So, um, and now here we are. 
I, I, I'll have to put you, I want to point you a direction. I have a really good friend who's a professor. He's, he used to be our writer in the PBR, Keith Ryan Cartwright. And he is right now releasing a book about the history of black cowboys um, yeah. in, in our Western culture, the rodeos they used to have in Harlem. And it would be, anyway, made me think of that. Uh, really looking forward to that. But uh, okay, you have to tell me, I can't remember if you told me you, I'm I'm in Montana. You're in Texas right now. What is your Montana connection that you have and the time you spend in Montana? Okay, I'll try not to make this story too long. That's okay. It's okay. Here's how it goes. So I was in law school in the late '90s at the University of Texas, and I thought to myself, you know, I could be a lawyer. I'll be happy. My dad was a lawyer. I have a certain level of admiration for a man who walks into a trial room and convinces a jury that his side of the argument is correct. But it really wasn't my main dream, Flint. I wanted to be a writer. And I love media. I love novels. I love the creative process. So I said to myself, well, let's take a year. After law school, I'll take the bar exam. But after I do so, let's take a year and let's give this writing thing a shot. Let's live this dream for a little while. And I said to myself, well, if you're going to do that, move someplace you've always wanted to live. You only have to be holed up in a cabin or live by yourself to write a novel. And for me, Montana had occupied this really unique, dreamlike place in my life. And I'll tell you, there's two reasons why. Number one, Lonesome Dove is my favorite <laughs> novel and miniseries sure. of all time. Mm -hmm. Two Texas Rangers, two Texas Cowboys who make their way up to Montana. So already it had existed as this sort of dreamlike goal in my life. And second, I read this book called Travels with Charlie. And it's by John Steinbeck. And it's about a guy who takes an RV around the United States of America and experiences what each state is like. We now know, by the way, that Steinbeck actually made up a good portion of that book. He didn't take the trips. He didn't meet the people. But that didn't matter for me because what he said when he got to Montana was, if you took a boy from Washington, D.C., who had never been to Texas and asked him to describe Texas, what he would in actuality describe is Montana. Montana. And I was like, well... I am damn near a Texas Zionist. I am ready, should Texas want to secede at any given moment, to go where Texas feels she needs to go. But if you're telling me Montana is the true essence, the true physical beauty, the embodiment of what Texas is supposed to be, I got to go. So I loaded up my Charlie. He was a dog named Leon. And I drove up to Montana. I had in my back pocket that if Wyoming was amazing, I'll stay in Wyoming. But I knew a guy up in Montana and so it gave me a destination and I went up to Rock Creek, which is just outside of Clinton, outside, yeah. which is about a half hour outside of Missoula. Mm -hmm. And I made my way. I got on, on a ranch up there, which was, was a hunting outfitter. They took people back into um, the mountains for elk hunting, bear hunting, moose hunting, sheep hunting, whatever people had a tag for. And I was a guy who packed out the mules and worked on the ranch and fed the horses. And in the meantime, I lived in a little cabin and wrote a terrible novel. You, you did what you set out to do. Now, first of all, I'm sorry that you had to be by Missoula. I, I'm a, <laughs> my girls are Mont we're Montana state fans in my, right. I subtly wore blue and gold today, but <laughs> it, now you, was it this past summer, your family came up through here vacationing? Uh, you, you uh, up through Yellowstone and up through Montana. You're talking early '90s. You came up. Have you noted what did you notice about Montana since you were here twenty some years ago? 
change yeah, like, still still the essence of Montana and all that you hoped it would be, or is it shifted a little bit? Late nineties, but still it's been 20 years. Yeah. Your math is correct. You know, that was a really unique and, and valuable experience for my family. When I left ESPN and joined Fox, I had about a two month lag period between the two jobs. And with COVID, we wanted to take some time and we decided, well, let's just go around the country. And so we started in Texas, hit New Mexico, South Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, and did that loop. And it was really great for me to take my boys back to Montana because let me tell you something, Montana, in my experience, hadn't changed a ton. Flint. I don't know, outside Rock Creek, outside of Clinton, it's kind of how I left it. But right. more important than the place for me, and I mean this, I'm not trying to be overly sentimental, is the people. I worked on that ranch which again was a hunting outfitter. It wasn't a huge cattle ranch or anything like that, but it had horses and mules and we worked on a daily basis, but the people that hadn't changed Flint. And that's what made Montana really special to me. That family took me in the extrums of rock Creek. I love them. They are my second family. We only got to spend a year in together's everyday presence, but they took me in like family. And I, I cannot tell you how valuable they exist in my life and now in my family, my boy's life. And that hasn't changed. The biggest concern of Montanans is Montana will turn into what people think Montana should be. Not necessarily Montana. You know, people ask me, do you have a log house? Do you have, well, no, that's, that's kind of an interpretation of Montana. And that's the biggest concern of Montana. There's a lot of Montana uh, where I'm from. I was just seeing my parents and it's, I, I call, call it real Montana. People yeah. who have out 1,700 mama cows and have, have planted the winter wheat. And, and there's a concern that the people will move into places like Missoula and Bozeman and then bring what they tried to leave uh, into the state. I think Texas sees a little bit of that concern as well, don't they? A ton of that. Yeah. And this morning I was on the phone with a buddy of mine who lives in Florida and they feel the same way in Florida. Mm. Now, I'm looking at buying a house in Texas right now. And I got to tell you, I got about a day or two to buy the house once it hits the market. Exactly. People are flooding in to yeah. Texas. They're flooding into Florida. They're flooding into Montana, from yeah. California, New York. And I don't mean to be overly political, but blue states where the taxes are high, the regulations are high, and COVID has shut down their world. They're looking for a place to be free. And they're finding these states, and in your case, a very beautiful state to move to. And the concern that you will forget why you left the place you left is real. Don't make Texas like California. You left California for a reason and Texas became a desirable place for a reason. Let's not ruin what those reasons are. Yeah. Yeah. Bozeman, Montana. My girls are in Bozeman and real concern there. And same thing. I mean, houses sight unseen, way over asking price. Montana. I never heard of buying a house over asking price until the last year. Never heard of it. <laughs> I know. Hey, Here's a quick story for you. So yeah. I was doing a diner for Fox and Friends in Texas just a couple of weeks ago, and I was in the diner. And it's mostly Texans, and you can immediately tell by somebody's accent. But this guy walks up to me, and clearly, immediately, I'm like, New York. And he starts talking to me, and he says, hey, Will, NYPD detective, 30-some-odd years, retired, took my pension, moved down here to Texas. And he said to me, I came here to assimilate. I didn't come here to change the place. Now, here's what that means, all right? It doesn't mean you have to be just like everybody else or you got to have groupthink, but appreciate 
the place that you've moved to for what it is. When I moved to Montana, I'll tell you, I didn't start wearing lace-up boots or droopy-rimmed cowboy hats just because y'all do, <laughs> but I did work with Dan Ekstrom, this cowboy, and I said, let's see Montana. And I remember driving to Swedes in Drummond, oh, yeah. or I don't know if you've ever been to the Copper Queen up in uh, – It's on the road to Helena. These little hole-in-the-wall bars. And I don't want to go to Missoula and see the latest trendy bar or Bozeman, the hip place. I want to see Montana the way it's been for 100-plus years. And that's appreciating someplace for what it is, not wanting to change it. Um, Yeah. My daughter works at Land of Magic Steakhouse in Logan, Montana, outside of Bozeman. Those are the best. The wide spot in the road that has the best steak you'll ever have. That's Montana yeah. to me. And uh, yeah. in, in as you say, not to get over political, but we can't have a discussion anymore in this country without touching on something. What you've just said about Montana and what I feel about Montana is why we sometimes in our culture get frustrated. What a lot of politicians in power don't realize, there's a lot of America between this coast and this coast, and we're frustrated. And let me give you an example. Recently, I believe our president said, with time, every person in America will have a vaccine available to them within five miles of where they are. (laughs) And all of us in Montana went, you need to get out. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's not one within five miles of where I'm sitting right now. That's a frustrating thing for rural America. My demographic largely is some sort of rural America. Very frustrating for us. Very out of touch. And that is why there's anger and frustration. And it is hard to swallow. Sometimes with a simple statement like that, we feel left out in this country. You know, and I would even suggest, Flint, that's the more benign lack of understanding. Another example of that would be, um, you know, the COVID shutdowns from state to state. You don't need to shut down every business in South Dakota that's spread out and doesn't have the density of the Upper West Side of New York in the same way that New York might need to do that, which, by the way, I question that premise anyway. But you don't need to have a mask mandate in one state that is extremely rural and another where you have people packed together. It's a lack of understanding the five mile reference and the way people live. But there's a more there's a more nefarious side to this as well. And this is where you take people who live differently than you think differently than you and you otherize them to the extent that you make them not just wrong, not just different, but evil. And that's what I have a real problem with in this country. Charles Barkley who I think is just an amazingly unique voice, not just in the world of sports, but in America said this the other day, he said, Republicans and Democrats, he said, black people and white people that I know are good people and they love each other. But politicians have a vested interest in dividing us and pitting us against each other. And that's not the way the world really is. I have made a real point in my life, Flint, not just because I want to have some kind of holier than thou existence, not that, because I'm really driven by curiosity and I want to experience things to live around people that are different than me. I'm back in Texas now, but for years, Flint, I lived on the Upper West Side of New York. I was a white Christian man who sent his school, his kids to schools that were largely minority in a Jewish neighborhood. I was around people who believed differently than me politically from start to finish. And I wanted to experience all that. But right now, I think what we do is we take people that are different and we turn them evil, not just wrong. And that gives us a feeling of virtue. It gives us a holy fight to have, not just a political debate to have. 
And I really think it's a problem. I think five miles is, you know, your five miles example is real. I think the mask mandate differentials are real. What I'm more concerned about is, well, if you disagree with me, then you're a racist. Mm -hmm. If you disagree with me, you're a bad person. If you disagree with me, you need to be canceled. Mm -hmm. I, uh, we have had that discussion. I have a good friend that came, we've talked a lot and he always says, overall, people are good, but that's not what sells. That's not what uh, goes to the cause. I have friends of, you know, I traveled, I've been to every major city in the country, not everyone, but a lot of them and people are good. I have friends. I grew up, as you know, in Montana, we're always within an hour of an Indian reservation. And some of mm -hmm. my greatest friends are native Americans or Indians. The, and any school mascot in Montana that's the Indians still exists because it's Indian. They're, they're on an Indian reservation and they're, it's right. a pride. It's the feather headdress coming out for layups. It's, you know, so, so yeah, overall, I agree. People are good. And it, tell me this in this last year, just think in this last year, what has it, it, this is a real broad topic, but I have some thoughts too. What is it fundamentally done to us bigger than locking us up? putting a mask on us. Big picture, what has it done to us as a society in general? I would say two things, divided us and made us compliant. So it's been another example. Often it's race, other times it's gender, maybe it's sexuality, whatever it may be. There's all these different opportunities for people to divide us, for us to divide ourselves and pit ourselves against each other, okay? COVID's the same way. So it's given some people this unearned virtue in my mind. I believe in science. I wear a mask. You're a Neanderthal. You do not. I think what it's done is made us yet again find another way to say, I'm better than you. I'm different than you. You're worse than me. And I think people are going to have a hard time letting go of that, Flint. Mm -hmm. I think once this thing is over, once it subsides and it's clear, you don't have to wear a mask, there are going to be others to be like, well, how do I feel better than somebody else at the grocery store now? Who do I yell at on Twitter? How do I make myself feel better? And I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I actually think Flint, look, I'll be real with you. I've, I have struggled throughout my life. I've gone back and forth on the issue of faith and religion. I definitely have tried to make myself a better Christian throughout my life, but I think we need to be able to find virtue in deeper, more permanent, more principle-based based places than in politics. Because what happens there is you have to always find somebody else you're better than. Where faith and religion helps you understand that virtue comes from someplace other than this mere existence right here. And so I think people have trouble. This COVID thing has made so many people, given them another tool to make themselves virtuous while others are bad. And the other thing is it's made us compliant. I just think we've we've turned in a lot of ways. We are free people, right? I mean, yeah. this is what makes America different. I actually think Montana, Texas, you know, the Dakotas, the Rocky Mountain states, I actually think in a lot of ways that's the essence of America. What I mean by that, it was always on the frontier, the pioneer, the risk takers, those that wanted to push west to find a better life, hardy, resilient. That's what America was and should be, and in many places still is. I'm not saying to be anti-science. I'm not saying don't follow the rules, but we better recognize there's an independent spirit mm -hmm. to America. And I don't want to lose this independent spirit, spirit that set us apart in, in this pursuit of unquestioning compliance to whatever the quote unquote rules are of today. 
Yeah. I have a, one of my daughters is 19, almost 20, sophomore in, in college. And so a few days ago, I told her I was talking to you and I, I asked her that question. And she and I, the same, what did it fundamentally do to us? And, and I gave her my thought and she finished it. So I owe her this, and it's very similar to what you say. And I wrote it down. Our country split down the middle into two groups. There's mm -hmm. half of them, half the country scared. Neither of these are healthy emotions. Half the country's scared and half the country's pissed off. And the people who are scared are pissed off at the pissed off people because they're not scared. Does that, and right. she came up with that. I said, it's perfect that I, I walked in, I was three steps into the grocery store the other day, tangling my mask and a lady yelled at me, you forgot your mask. And, and I, I actually said, is yours not working? <laughs> uh, but it neither of those are a healthy emotion or feeling that does the country or ourselves or our families any good at all no that's exactly right we can't be a fear-based people we just cannot we never have been it's no. not who we are and we can't that, allow ourselves to become that and that is the difference i, I love that you brought up the west uh and, and you and i know the west is texas up through new mexico that that's lonesome dove man that's lonesome yeah. dove and that we still live that we still get on our horses and move cows and um there you know there's a lot of country music singers that i've spoken to uh one in particular i remember the bellamy brothers huge in mm -hmm. europe and great britain because they crave the West, anything the West. We go to New York City and the cowboy hats. There's a reason people crave that because they long for a society that's strong and resilient and independent. I believe self-reliant. Yes. Uh, here, here's the other thing I think it's it, that I worry this last year has done to us. I, I have friends in Las Vegas that run casinos. They're real people. Um, I make my living in the live event industry. I worry that we convince ourselves that we don't need to go to a Broadway show, that we don't need to go to a Packers game, that we don't need to make a trip to Vegas. That worries me. Will it change us or will we bounce back stronger to that? Well, I'll tell you, I have a brother today that's going to opening day at Globe Life Park for the Texas Rangers, the one stadium in the United States yeah. of America that's going to be at full capacity at the beginning of the baseball season. So it's expected, by the way, there'll be a full sellout there, 40,000 people. And that would suggest we're ready. We're willing. We'll get back to it. I'd like to think, Flint, back to that word of resiliency, which is one value I want to teach my sons. You know, you can't protect yourself from failure. You're going to fall face down in the muck. Many times you're going to be the cause of your own failures. You, you just have to get back up. I think America's built yeah. with that character. I think we'll get back up. I think we'll get back to being together. I think we'll get back to taking appropriate risks. Yeah. You bring up sports. Good segue. Um, in your days, I, I would listen to your show on ESPN radio, by the way, I don't know how long it took ESPN to find a guy named Will Kane to host the Will Kane show, but well done. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, good job. I mean, fell right into that. Right. The biggest thing when I'd listen uh, to your show and, and another one that I compare to it, and I don't know if you're a fan or know him, if you do, I'd love it. Colin Cowherd, big mm -hmm. fan because truth Sports fans hate truth because mm. sports.
sports are a microcosm, I think. And yes, I'm a rodeo guy that used the word microcosm. They're a microcosm of why eyewitnesses of a crime are the least reliable thing we have in a crime. Right. You know this. the perception you could three of us can watch the same play and have a different interpretation all the way yeah. around it how frustrating when you hosted uh, the will kane show espn radio is there days you're just like this saying how can you think that way i know i i run into that. <laughs> okay uh, i'm gonna give you a couple of responses to that okay. question so first of all um You know, you and I could do probably more than half an hour of this podcast on what it is that makes you the the top host, MC, you know, rodeo entertainer in the business because it's your craft. You don't just walk out there and let her rip. You've been doing it for years. You think about what your your job is and how you prepare it, right? And that's how I approached sports and my radio show every day. Now I'll tell you the biggest influence in that type of preparation and honing my craft that I had is Colin Coward. I don't know Colin. Well, we've hung out a few times. I've done a podcast with him. What's clear about Colin is he prepares for his show. He knows when and what he's going to talk about. That doesn't mean you're not natural within the confines and it doesn't make it fake, but there's too many people in my business who think, Microphone, push on. I will be charming and witty and it will be amazing. And that's not the way it works, man. You have to hone it and think about it and craft it. And I did that and I put work into it. And um, and I and I got that from from Colin Coward. Um, second, that craziness that you talked about, man, I actually not only do I not dislike it, I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. what I love about sports. Politics is one thing. That's harder. Like, how did you arrive at that? How'd you get to be so wrong? Don't you understand the cost of your ideas? But if somebody called into my show and tell me that I was wrong about Dak Prescott, or they really wanted to tell me why Tom Brady was a system quarterback and not the greatest of all time. Yeah, they're insane and they're wrong. <laughs> yes. But that's, yes. that's, that's a... Um, that's a harmless version of being wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then you know what else? I'm going to take it one step further. We talked about it a moment ago. Dividing you pe- people in this country is a big problem. Tribalism is a problem. Mm-hmm. But sports, that's a healthy outlet of tribalism. Right. You can be a blind allegiance follower of your team, of your logo, of your geographic area. And not only is that okay, that's good. I love it, man. I love that about well, sports. Well, the difference is, you bring up, I, I had made myself a note, the difference in like politics is there are our own, uh, 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 most of what I believe I don't consider politics. I consider it the uh, the ideals of how I live and what I think the values are and how I think I should raise my family. Right, right. Uh, it, it's a way of living. So it is hard to say you're wrong because we have different ideologies in that. So politics is affected different sports. uh, A few months into this whole shutdown. And I, I I had people give me heat about it. I said, we need sports. A lot of people look at it as just a game, just entertainment. We need passion in our lives to live. And sports is a passion outlet that gives us energy. It gives us, it, it gives us a lot. I'm a sports guy, but we have, I think we need it. 
so if we don't have that outlet that you just described, we're going to pour our passions into other places yes. and they're not as, they're not as healthy. They're not, they're, they're more ripe to be turned into negativities than the harmless tribalism of, of sports. I totally agree with you. And by the way, in our history, sports has been the great unifier. I mean, yeah, we might have our differences on, you know, Cowboys versus Giants or Broncos versus Raiders. But I'm talking about this is where black, white, left, right, rich and poor could all come together over the same thing. It's not so much anymore, Flint. I mean, we only have to look at the news of this past week to see how Major League Baseball's pulled out of Georgia over a political issue. There's pressure on golf. The NBA, of course, has become incredibly political. So it's turning away from being our refuge and our unifier. And that's going to be a real loss from for society. Yeah. Um, you touched on something just now recently, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game pulling out of Georgia. Major League Baseball makes a decision. How does that happen? How did, how did suddenly... A law passed in a state dictates if a major sporting event takes place in that state and mm-hmm. not not by the people, by basically, I would, uh, I'll generalize here, one man in charge of major, major League Baseball for a law that, not to get into the, the law, be, opposition to the law seems more racially motivated than the law itself. But how? Do, where did this sports... Uh, politics thing. I don't know how it started and got so deep for us. Okay. Um, because ultimately what's happening is race, unfortunately, is being injected into every aspect of our culture. We can't dance around it. So this is how it happens. This is the dominoes that fall. First of all, the Georgia law is no more onerous than the laws in most states, many right. blue states like the state of New York. It doesn't have any bigger restrictions on voting than the state of New York does. But lies are told about it. So lie upon lie upon lie is told. The public buys the lies. Corporate pressure then begins to mount. Advertisers, CEOs start calling Major League Baseball. Um, I think one of the biggest was the CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals started putting pressure on Rob Manfred. So you start having a really loud set, a small minority of voices on social media platforms echo the lies. The lies then take root in corporate boardrooms. Corporate boardrooms have proven to be very fearful places. I would suggest spineless. And then they in turn put pressure on Rob Manfred and he's scared. And everybody's scared of being called a racist over a law that is not racially motivated, does not um, put any more onerous restrictions on any one race or any one person any more so than the other state. And we're off and running. And every one of these issues does revolve around race. And I want to talk about that for one second, because, look, a lot of people don't like me. Okay, and that comes with the territory. Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) It's your fabulous hair. It's your fabulous hair. Yeah. yeah, Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have been accused at the very least of being racially insensitive and other times of being racist. I make very, very odd choices for someone who would be those things like putting my kids into schools where they're the only white kids in the environment. But here's what I believe. Society has gotten to a place where if you don't call something, in most cases, everything racist, then you're a racist. And so what I think is we need to look at the motivations and the reasons for things that happen in our society. If we do ultimately get there and the facts bear it out that a certain incident is because of race, I'm there with you. But I'm not going to knee jerk it. I'm not going to go ahead and call everything in our society race based. I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's right. And I think it hurts race relations in the end. I truly do. I believe in looking at each other as their character, our merit, our actions and as individuals. And I'll do that. 
I will do my best. I'm sure I'm not perfect, but I will try my best to do that in every instance. I don't care if you're from Montana or New York, if you're black or you're white, I want to see a man for who he is. What kind of man are you? <clears throat> I, I experienced it. I don't tell the story often. I experienced it and it was a shock to me. And gave me anxiety for so long. I was called flat out by a lady in the crowd at Madison Square Garden, a racist. As really? I gave a little girl, she was my fan of the night and I gave her the buckle. If you remember, I do that every night. Yeah. yeah. And I said to the little girl, are you going to wear this buckle to school on Monday? She said, I don't have school on Monday. Just you know, as a little kid. And I said, oh, why? I mean, I'm traveling all over. I forget. Right. She said, it's Martin Luther King Day Monday. And I said out loud, because it was true, I said, oh, I didn't, uh, I did forget because my daughters in Montana go to school on Martin Luther King Day. Almost as a, why the heck do my kids have to go to school? In Montana, it wasn't a day off school. Right. Instantly, a lady contacted our PR department. Uh, I'm like, you, are you, are you kidding? Like, and it wasn't that she was offended so much, but she just knew those black families in the crowd were going to be offended by that, right. that, that the dominoes fall to her. And, uh, I looked her up. She was a former reporter for the New York times. So shocker, oh, here we shocker. Go. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but that is a nobody that, I mean, you start going over in your head, is this going to end my career? That is an awful thing to be called. It, well, nobody wants you, that. No, and you can't worry about ending your career because then you'll become lobotomized. You'll True. be, I don't know, an HR approved corporate generic speaking um, nobody. You know, um, look, racism exists in the United States of America. You and sure. I both know that. The question is, do you take that truth and extrapolate it into impugning every single person's motivations who says something that you might not like? And that's the key. That's the difference here. And, and you know, we lost... You know, do you believe in grace? Do you believe in redemption? Do you believe in second chances? Do you do you believe in 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 extending another person the same kind of understanding you would hope to receive in return? And I just think we've lost that at every step. We're trying to say again. I said this earlier. You're bad. You're racist. I know that I can attack you. It happened to my friend uh, Dan Orlovsky last week, who's an amazing football analyst for ESPN who said he had been told that Justin Fields, who's a quarterback for Ohio State, African-American quarterback, Mm -hmm. there was some scuttlebutt rumors that maybe his work ethic isn't what the NFL wanted, and that's why there's some projections he could be sliding for next month's draft. Dan only repeated what he'd been told, and everybody again impugned his character and his motivations, just like they did Drew Brees almost a year ago when he said he thought you ought to stand for the national anthem. And I'm just done with that, you know? You know, I know my character. I know my motivations. So you can come after me. You might get me canceled because I can't control the backbone of corporations and my potential bosses out there, but I'm going to sleep okay at night. Yeah. I'll be all right because I know who I am. We need to know. That's a good point. There's a lot, and I do too. Uh, the, it was funny. The uh, I, I'll, I can drop the story, but that, uh, that lady reached out to our PR lady and mm-hmm. she was a very good friend of mine, Denise, and she was black. <laughs> and she came to me said, what are we going to do about this lady? And I said, take care of me. You know me. Mm-hmm. You know me. Uh, you know me. Take care of it. And, and it went away. You know, they did. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that. But um, it's funny, you know, you, you brought up social media 
who are we going to hate on Twitter? Who are we going to hate on Facebook? It, it's made it so easy today's society. You know, back when when we were kids and said thing, if we said stuff like that, we'd get our ass kicked. I mean, that's all. <laughs> if there was, there's something healthy about an ass kicking, and you know that that about it serves a purpose. Accountability, yeah, face to face accountability. accountability. There's something <laughs> yeah. good. It now it's so frowned upon. Uh, oh, violence yeah. doesn't solve anything. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Um, hey i just put my sons in self-defense um because i do believe like ultimately not unlike what we were talking about earlier like self-reliance resiliency and getting your face up out of the mud in the west like same thing when it comes to ability to handle yourself and don't don't get me wrong Flint, like i'm not saying i'm that guy but i wouldn't mind my sons being so they're yeah. doing some krav maga kickboxing jujitsu type stuff right now because you know that's the way the world is at some point. It all comes down to face-to-face accountability at some point. I'm going to jump ahead to something. I I do I do prepare like a radio show. But I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead. I I made a note. It, it was an added note at the bottom of my page. I saw something you posted. You were I, I wish I could reference it. I'm sure you can. You were on a podcast or an interview and you were talking about how you want to raise your boys to be men. Uh, yeah. and the, there's traits to a strong man. And I want to thank you for that because we don't hear that yeah. enough. There's something, what was it a, a couple of years ago? It was tox, toxic masculinity. Everything it. that had to do with being a man right. was frowned upon, but we need to raise strong men. And I appreciate that with your sons, actually. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it's odd, isn't it? That is yeah. turned into a pejorative. That's turned into a bad thing. Like the qualities that you and I probably attribute to what it means to be a man, mm-hmm. you know, suck it up sometimes. Be stoic. Be resilient. Be strong. Be confident. These are traits that for some reason have become toxic. I don't believe so. I think the world needs men, strong men. I think the world needs people to stand up against mobs and crowds and groupthink and fear. And I want my sons to be that. And if it requires that I'm not their buddy at times, then I'm not going to be their buddy. I'm going to be their dad because, again, there's this idea. And maybe it's underlying a lot of much of our problems. I believe so. We want to be liked. We always want to be. I saw that in my fellow ESPN radio host often. Like, I I better not say this because I want everybody to like me. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what's more important than being liked? Being correct. Being strong. Standing up for principles that are right and wrong. And um, that will at times require, you know, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to be your friend on this. You know, I do want to play ball with you later, but no, you need a dad. You need some stern um, discipline. You need to be a man at some point. So in this case, I'm going to have to be your dad, not your buddy. Yeah. My girls, my girls are 22 and almost 20. They are on the rodeo team, full ride rodeo scholarships at Montana State University. I feel sometimes, hey, listen, there's no beautiful, more beautiful girls in the world than my daughters. I know I'm biased, <laughs> but they can dress up with the best of them. But I sometimes feel like in this country, they are more resilient, confident, strong than a lot of guys because they're, they got to take care of their horses every day. They get bucked mm-hmm. off the horses. They've hurt themselves. That uh, I mean, I'm proud of the way I... I have daughters, but I'm proud of the way they're being raised and their mother does a amazing job in that sense too. 
And Flint, the world is telling your daughters to be strong. It's encouraging and incentivizing them to be strong. And you know what? It's doing the opposite with boys right now. It's saying, you know what? You're the problem with the world. Your mindset, your testosterone, the way you act, that's the problem underlying the world. That's what they're told right now. They're disincentivized to have all the same traits that you talked about. Your girls are being encouraged to have. And that's not that that's so unhealthy. Jordan Peterson is a famous writer. I don't know if you've ever encountered Jordan Peterson. He's controversial. Is he? Of course, so is everything. Is he Canadian? He is. Yeah, Canadian. Okay. Yes, yes, I do know who he is. He, 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 he became controversial and famous Flint because he first hit the radar for saying, I won't use the pronoun you want me to use. I do not begrudge you what you choose in life. You can be who you want to be, but the moment at which you impose upon me, my understanding of reality and rationality, you're now dictating to me. I don't want to dictate to you. You don't dictate to me. And for that, he became very controversial. I think they accused him. They have hate speech laws in Canada. We don't have that here, thankfully. But they accused him of hate speech. But anyway, Jordan Peterson has talked about the problem with young men and that, that really a lot of the things going on in our society is because we are essentially, you know, destroying the character of young men. And I believe that's true. Yeah, uh, I love listening to to him, and and I have watched a clip of a debate about the pronouns he refuses to use. It was heated. I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. What uh, off subject a little? Well, no, it's all we're we're all on subject. What do you think of Ken? I I I grew up an hour from the Canadian border, Alberta, mm-hmm. not Eastern Canada. Uh, I've spent time in Canada. I went to the Calgary Stampede. I've worked up there. Their media is a different flavor or it's, they get one aspect. I used right. to go up there and say, what, which side are you watching? What is, what's Canada? What yeah. it's about? And I have fans in Canada probably watching this, but it's an interesting place. Well, so let me first profess a little bit of ignorance. Then I want to spin this into something you alluded to. Um, I'm going to profess total ignorance on Canada. Yeah. Look, I grew up in Texas. I know yeah. more about Mexico than I do Canada. Yes. Um, in fact, I don't think I've ever even been to Canada. Despite living in Montana for a year, I na- never made my way across the border. So yeah. my knowledge of Canadians and Canadian culture and certainly ke- t- Canadian television and news is is limited to non-existent. But you said something about news that I think is important. I'm sure it's true. They're only getting one side or one version of events. And that's largely true in this country as well. It's so fascinating. My brother was here this morning and he and I were talking about the way sports media has gone. We were both talking about our local sports radio station that we grew up liking. And I said, I can barely stand them anymore. And I said, how is it that it doesn't matter if you cover the Dolphins or the Chargers, the Rangers or the Mets, it doesn't matter if you cover the Mavericks or the Raptors, every sports writer at every company has the same set of opinions, the same set of opinions about COVID or race or politics. Mm -hmm. How is it that they're all exactly the same? And that's the way it is in media. Flint. I don't, I, I don't. And, and increasingly what's clear is it's not the truth you're getting. We didn't get the truth about COVID's origins. We didn't get the truth about Hunter Biden. We, we, we there's so many stories we're not getting the truth on. And the one outlet or the one large outlet that happens to diverge from that groupthink consensus is the one I work for. Yeah. It's Fox news. And that's the one that draws all the ire. That one voice that doesn't toe the line that has to be shut down. That's the one they attack. That's the one that has to be stamped out. How fascinating. Yeah, and I have uh, our head of security 
PBR. Yes, we have a head of security. Is a former Border Patrol agent. And so there is a truth. And, you know, he's telling me stories of uh, his friends getting groups of, of young children, for one, who sends their child across a border by themselves with a, no. with a handwritten note in their pockets with a phone number on it of somebody in the U.S. for that connection. And he said, it is a wreck it, it, by the thousands. And it is a crisis. So, uh, again, none of, uh, I structure my conversations where I believe none of it is political it's just a story of what's going on in our country, and most of it isn't revealed. Uh, that border deal, you're a Texan. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have friends and family in Arizona, in South Texas. It's a disaster right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, first, the other side believes the same thing that you're saying, by the way. Flint, they believe that their strong stances are moral propositions, not political. So that's how they excuse, for example, the idea that baseball should be pulled out of Georgia over a political issue. They'll say, well, it's not political. This is a basic fundamental issue of whether or not voting should be fair in the United States. They always cage things in greater terms than political terms. We have to understand that's where our disagreements lies. I'm like you. I believe that what I base my opinions around isn't partisan. It's more about the values that I hold dear. Values that I do think line up traditionally with American values, meaning a lot of those terms we threw around earlier, free spirit, independent spirit, pioneer spirit, risk-taking spirit, a lot of those things that I don't ever want to see quashed in American culture. And into the border, I would say this, we got to feel for these people. I mean, where they're coming from, I get it. They want to get away from that. They're coming from desperate situations. And why wouldn't you want to come to the greatest country, not just on the face of the earth, but really that has existed in the course of human history? Of course. That's what America is. And we got to be real about that. Mm -hmm. No matter how many politicians tell you we're awful, isn't it intriguing that people want to come to this awful place? That's strange, isn't it? Weird. We, if you took down yeah. all borders across the world, you think the United States, this country that so many say is racist and terrible, would have a net inflow or outflow? Yeah. Which way would it go? I know exactly <laughs> which way it would go. Yeah, that's what I yeah, tell I him. No, it would come this way. Yeah. But I, what I was saying is we need to feel for these people, but we also have to have the rule of law. That's yeah. the bottom line. You just have to do it the right way. And it's not it's not empathetic and it's not helpful to put people in situations where they are in a crisis and it's not empathetic and it's not helpful to punish those that do it the right way, come through the legal process. Right. Exactly. Um, social media, we we've touched on it about the face to face, the consequences face to face. I see it with young kids. I got, I've told the story on my live broadcast. I get just randomly flipped off in my car by high school kids, uh, on lunch break one day in Billings, Montana. And I pull up next to him at the stoplight, at the next stoplight, and told him I was going to kick his punk ass. And that, <laughs> they were gone. They were gone. But uh, I, I've given up, I wish, and this is wrong of me to not have written it down. I was on my way to the Billings, Montana airport one morning at 5 a.m., listening to a morning show, and they interviewed a lady. So I give her credit. It's not my own, but I've kind of made it my own. I wish I knew her name. The social media the analogy she used is back in the day when we were young, we stood waiting to check out our, our groceries and looked over at the magazine stand and the National Enquirer and all those other rags were there. We'd pick them up. We'd read this sensationalism. People who made a living writing this as sensationalist and we'd laugh and we'd yeah. put it back in and take our groceries. 
Now, right. with social media, it can be compared to, we not only buy the magazine, we go in our neighborhood and give it to all our friends. <laughs> and that's the truth. That's social media, is sensationalism. Yeah. Wrong to the left or uh, not factual to the left or not factual to the right. If you're not telling the truth, you're, you're wrong either way. But that's social you know media. It, um, oh, by the way, I really dislike social media. I'm not good at it. Yeah. I don't find it a net positive to my life. Um, it in general brings me down, mm -hmm. but I will say the flip side of that and the way that social media can help is in this world full of what is real, what is fake. I don't know who to trust. The only recourse that I have is I find individuals who've earned my trust through authenticity, not necessarily through whether or not I always agree with them, but whether or not I think they're being real and trying to find the truth. And you can access those individuals as individuals. You know what I mean? Like you can hear their opinion, see their content. It's just easier to connect. That story you told earlier about the issue that came up at PBR, what was so important for you was the personal relationship with the person that you had at PBR that, you know, that was obviously an interpersonal connection and one that you'd had for quite some time. But I hope, for example, with what I do, um, Fox and Friends, the Will Kane podcast, I've got some other ventures that could be coming up in the near future, the Will Kane show on ESPN radio. I would hope that anybody that listened was really saying, okay, I hear Will and this is what he thinks and he's being real and he's open to hearing somebody disagrees with him. But the main thing I'm getting is an honest effort at the truth. And he'll hear me out on the other side if he thinks I'm, if I think he's wrong. And I just think there, that's one good thing about where we exist in 2021. You can more readily access people as individuals. Right. You, you need to, I, I always appreciated that listening. Okay. I'll hear you out. And then I'll tell you, here's my perspective on why, you know, uh, you're on right. deck Prescott or <laughs> true breeze, whatever. Right. Right. You need, there is, the healthy thing is to hear the other view. That, that's very basic. We, we hope to teach kids that in junior high political science class, that you can't have a healthy, uh, a healthy opinion without hearing another opinion. So how, this has nothing to do with which side. How do we completely silence a former president? Now, Facebook is, they can do what they want. But in essence, there are people, there's a large part of our society or a small, very loud part. They, they wouldn't even allow his voice to be heard on an Instagram interview recently. Crazy, man. How, how do you form a healthy opinion or a healthy direction in your life without hearing what else is going on? Yeah, that it is. It is crazy. So first, it's part of a larger cultural movement that is the opposite of what you just said and the opposite of what I tried to do on the Will Cain show. And it exists on college campuses. It exists in the media landscape. It's it's no longer. And they openly said it. Lester Holt said it on the news uh, the other night. He said, I, I don't believe in both sides anymore. In other words, I don't need to hear both sides. Um, so what we're looking at now is a concerted effort to manipulate you. Not to persuade you, not to explain a point of view, but to propagandize you. Um, and so, therefore, we got to shut down, cancel, and do away with any form of disagreement or debate. And that's terrifying. That's, that's really unhealthy. But then the other side of it, that's the backdrop. The other side of it is, you know, I am openly, as a conservative, afraid, or that's not the right word, um, 
rightfully skeptical of any large institution that tells me what to do. And that has meant the government largely in the past. I am more and more concerned about the power of corporations. And I think big tech is the best example of that, as you pointed out. They just have so much power, Flint. They shut out a president, a former president, I believe when they started, an active president of the United States of America from the biggest speech platforms that there are. Hey, I just read this before I jumped on with you. Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court justice, just wrote in an opinion and analogized this. He said – People saying, yeah, well, you can go to other places to voice your point of view besides Facebook or Twitter, right? You can go somewhere else. Well, it's like a toll bridge operator saying, you can also swim across the Charles River. (laughs) Just because I don't let you across my toll bridge doesn't mean you can't get across. They have such control over access and distribution, like a toll bridge crossing a river. It doesn't matter if I theoretically can swim as well. You've shut out that entire point of view. That's terrifying. Yeah, and I don't swim very well. I don't like water. So I just shouldn't <laughs> stay on the bridge. I got asked that in one of my live broadcasts recently. I do a Tuesday night live Facebook show, 40 minutes yeah. or so. And somebody said, Will you move to a different are you gonna move to a different social media platform? Like I have six figures and followers. No, I like the toll bridge. I need to drive on the bridge. I don't want hey to learn man, to swim. It's hard, it's hard to stop drinking Coca-Cola if you want to, because they're telling you how you should feel about the Georgia bill. It's hard to give up baseball. It's hard to fly something besides Delta. If, if, if people who um, want to disagree have to employ boycotts, corporate America is also converging just like the media into one singularly acceptable point of view. I don't know anymore what you're supposed to do to find free independent um, thoughts. Yeah. I, a lot of people in our Western sports world, rodeo bull riding, they, I know I don't watch NFL anymore because they knelt for the anthem, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I I watch NFL. You know why? Because I really love football. And I I also, and I also know overall people are good. My, my good friend, Alex Singleton plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz now plays for the Colts. There are great people like that, that are similar to us. So I don't, I'm not a cancel guy. I still watch football because Aaron Rodgers is amazing. And the Cowboys are terrible. Yeah. I I will get unapologetic (laughs) Cowboys fan. Uh, Go ahead. You're an unapologetic what? Cowboys hater? No, I can say this. I don't hate any team. I love great, uh, watching great athletes. I love watching great football players. I, I coached high school football. I played. I'm in the middle of the road with the Cowboys because I've met Jerry Jones. I've performed in that stadium. I will say this. There are teams that f- make football better when they are good. The Cowboys are one of those teams. The Raiders are one of those teams. The Steelers are one of those teams. The Packers. Packers. Football, the game is better. Love them or hate them. The game is better when they're good. Totally agree. So here's the question for you now. Now, I have very strong beliefs about this. You don't get to pick your teams. You probably heard me say this on the Will Cain show. They are given to you. You are born into your teams. Okay, primarily by geographic region. So I didn't really get a choice. I'm a Texas Rangers, Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Mavericks fan. And that's the way it is. And that's the way life works. The one caveat here is if your dad brainwashed you, I believe, or your mom, (laughs) which I did to my sons. They have they were born in New York and lived there for the first, I don't know, portion of their life. But they also love those same teams from Texas. Montana's different. Yeah, because you're a total professional sports team free agent state. You could be a fan of 
anyone. Maybe the Broncos. I did meet a lot of Cowboys fans. They tried you know, to make they tried to make us Seahawks fans in the seventies because that was the right? new team. Yeah. So what did you do, Clint? Are you are you not a fan of any particular team? Like you said, just athletes, or which way did you go in your free agency? Yeah. Well. Um, I will say this, when I've been to AT&T Stadium, I have said out loud to my girls, man, I wish that I liked the Cowboys better because they got some good gear. They got great gear, <laughs> the star. Uh, you know what? I was born into a little of the Packers, and, as, and I drifted, just kind of watched teams. As I grew older, I felt like the Packers chose me because it's a small town when i see I the that. packers i see rural america i've been to lambeau yeah. field and it feels like i'm in great falls montana and yeah. so i love that community it felt like a college game i mean can you beat bart star and jerry <laughs> kramer from yeah from jordan montana i know Staba. roger Staba. again with roger Staba. <laughs> i feel this <laughs> how about hey don meredith are you, I've heard yeah. stories where uh, the place I'm in right now, one of their, the one son is named Garrison after Walt Garrison. Yeah. Very cowboy. close with Walt Garrison. Walt Garrison I mean is real cowboy, not Dallas. Cowboy. Real wasn't a uniform. It was right. stories about Don Meredith smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer. I mean, the Cowboys, there's some aura there. I'll give you that. Really. I don't hate <laughs> a team. I can't think of a team I hate, honestly. Uh, really? Can't, well, no. let me introduce you to the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, point. see, okay. <laughs> have disliked the Eagles, but now I, I got a, a <laughs> Logan's over here laughing. Uh, but now I got a friend that plays for, and I liked Carson Wentz, you know, but they, yeah. Uh, my friend uh, Alex Singleton said, we didn't have a very good year, and it was probably a great year to not have Eagles fans in the stands. <laughs> he said, yeah. we could hear them booing from outside the stadium. So, um, yeah. So, sorry. I you know, I met your friend Carson Wentz once. I always seem to be on the other side of the Carson Wentz debate, meaning the, the detractor side, but I really wasn't. It was only because he was always pitted against Dak Prescott. But <laughs> I, by the way, also have an affinity for rural America. Sure. Um, the town I grew up in in Texas is 30,000 people, which makes it a big Montana town, but yeah. a small Texas town. Right. Um, <laughs> and I lived in, you know, throughout my career, before I moved to New York, it was Johnson City, Texas, Lano, Texas. It was Clinton, Montana. Yeah. I love rural America as well. And I know Carson comes from North Dakota. I, I believe he was big into pheasant hunting, like most mm -hmm. South and North Dakotans should be, you know. Um, so I do root for him. I know he's a good, strong Christian. I do root for the guy, you know, um, and and I'm not a detractor. He just yeah. was on the wrong side of the Dak Prescott debate. <laughs> he's, he's got the yip. He got the yips. Last season. He got the yeah. Yeah. Uh, I caught you <clears throat> during, I would listen to you and, and sports talk radio was really tough about a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I could just feel your pain. Not one thing going on. And I'm doing three hours every day on sports right. talk radio. I mean, I got in on the greatest cinema lawyer, fictional lawyer of all time. You did, <laughs> we did that. You did. We did that. And mine was Atticus Finch. And I come in late. I even sent you a message. I felt so bad. <laughs> uh, that was, did that play? I, I don't know. And I don't care to know why, you know, you went back to Fox news from ESPN radio, but that was there a time a year ago that you went, huh, this is exhausting. 
Because I mean, no. you even you even did a WWE segment at I one did. time. That you I knew, did. It, I just was like, oh, bless his heart. So that didn't I play did. a role, but it had to be exhausting last year. You know, okay. So I told you earlier that you got to prep, just like you said yeah. you did for this interview or for what you do every weekend with PBR. You got to prep, and I did that, just like Colin Coward. But here's the other side of that coin. Um, sports talk in the end is about buddies, guys hanging out at the bar, having a good conversation that they want to be having. That is fun. Right. As opposed to, for example, often political conversations. And I loved the guys I worked with. I truly did at ESPN and I missed them and I'll try to steal them. Even Stephen A. Smith. Even Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) But more specifically, the guys I worked with on the Will Kane show. Yeah. So every day for three hours, I got to hung, hang out with my producers. Like you have a relationship with Logan. I have a relationship with several guys that worked on my show and we just get together and we bust each other's balls and we talk sports. And maybe it was about the greatest cinema trial lawyer ever. Maybe it was about the greatest quarterbacks, whatever it may be. And of course, at that time in our country as well, Flint, it wasn't just there was no sports to talk about. Everything became about riots, race and George Floyd and everything was encompassed all together. And, it, you know, it, it, was it a challenge? Yeah, but just like hanging out with your buddies at the bar, if you're with the right people having the conversations that you would have in real life. I was good with it. I went away from it. The only reason I went away from it, well, there's a lot of um, economic reasons to be real um, (laughs) that I went away from ESPN, but also I didn't ever intend to give up sports and I'm not going to, I'll be going back into doing more sports. This just opened a new door for me to have more open, honest Mm -hmm. conversations about where I am on some of the biggest issues in the country. Believe it or not, this conversation we have had for the last hour is the I have friends that these are the conversations I love to have. That's how yeah. I treat this podcast. Let's visit about crap we love to visit about. Who was the winner? Of the, did you come up with the winner of the greatest cinema lawyer? Do you remember? You probably don't remember. No. I know how that is. Probably some. You, was it, it Matthew McConaughey? Oh, um, good. And, and I know how those go. You do something and put it away to move on. And I don't yeah, remember anything either. Right. But, I don't remember that one. No. We did We did the best war movies post. Uh, I think oh, it was the requirement yeah. was it had to be post-World War II. We did it every weekend because there was no sports. So exactly. we were like, what are we going to do this weekend? Well, we're all going to have a big movie watching marathon in this one category. And Monday we're voting for whatever the category was. That's what we did. <laughs> I have a 38-year-old friend, Matt West. He's one of our voice in arena announcers, has never seen Die Hard. Is that, can you go to jail for that? Like never. <laughs> yeah, how old I mean, is he? 31? He's like 38. He's. Oh. Can yeah, you imagine? that? It is an, it's yeah. an issue. Okay, so you had, I'll give you one uh, it, that we had on my Tuesday Night Live that got as okay. much feedback as ever, and I think you'll appreciate it. And then I'll give you the correct answer. Um greatest sportscaster of all time uh whether it and i'm going live event like play by play not so much okay. a you know not so much yeah. a studio host yeah sportscaster of all okay time. well um it's gonna have to be a team and so this is the way sports works right it gets into you at your the level of your soul and like music takes you back to where you were and mm-hmm. it's all wrapped up in nostalgia and i will just tell you the voices of pat summerall and john oh madden to me it's like if those voice if i hear those voices it is 
another time, another place. It's family. It's Sundays. It's everything is good in the world and it feels right. Those two guys together, it was just an amazing combination of voices that like, like, like Amarillo by morning. It just is always going to be ingrained in my soul and take me to where I need to be. You know, but I'll tell you, here's the bad thing about Pat Summerall and John Madden. Uh, they always had uh, the late NFC game, usually the Cowboys with the sun shining through the right. the roof. Um, but the I get sick to my stomach, and I've seen other people say this because you know what was coming, coming up, coming up after, except on the West Coast, sixty minutes. You know right. what that meant? That signified the end of the weekend. Yes. <laughs> until until Sunday night football came along. You're absolutely well, right. right. And then yeah. Sunday night football extended it. It's like we got sports overtime. Uh, yeah, we got to stay up a little later, but it was right. that damn 60 minutes. That Harry Reasoner can <laughs> kiss my ass. <laughs> That's the end of the Hey, I have a question for you. Okay. Podcasts are often conversations, and I just thought about this a moment ago. Um, so when I played water polo, believe it or not, in college, I went to school in California. And did I was you really play summer. water polo or did they dub your face on a fake picture to get you into a college? Like the, well, I, I just watched oh, that, oh, by the that's way. That's right. Because, uh, yeah, anyway. You think college water polo admission. was in that college admission scandal thing exactly. somewhere. Anyway. Um, uh, well, I thought you were saying, did you really play? Because the answer was no, I was mostly <laughs> on the bench. I did not play much. Yeah. Um, but, I would say, yeah, it was when I was in college, eight seconds came out and I'm telling you a bunch of Southern California surfer guy, water polo players and for what it's worth, water polo guys are not what you think. They're huge. They're gruff. There's a lot of Eastern Europeans in the sport. It's tough and physical and they're not like swimmers. How about that? Um, And I'll tell you, we would used to say this during timeouts of water polo games. You'd be like, cowboy up, cowboy up. I mean, eight seconds became this like cultural thing that transcended, you know, rodeo. And, you know, I've talked to NASCAR guys like days of thunder was a huge thing that helped make that movie transcend its, its traditional fan base into a much broader audience. Still, Um, we know that's true about um, top gun as well. After top gun, there was a ton of enrollment in, in the Navy for to be naval pilots and the air force. Did, did, did eight seconds do something like that for rodeo? Uh, did, yeah. did it bring new athletes into the sports and new fans? Yeah. The, we still get that referenced, uh, people of a certain age. I, I was turned on to this by watching eight seconds. Even now people say I saw yeah. eight seconds and I'm friends. I Lane Frost was before my time. I'm very good friends with his parents, Clyde and Elsie mm. and Lane. I was just getting started and Lane Frost got killed, but I'm very Good friends with Tuff Edeman and Cody Lambert right. still. It, it did. I remember friends coming to me saying, I had no idea that they hopped in a car. We just thought they went to a rodeo all weekend. There was the little things that people picked up right. that surprised me. Like, because that was, I grew up going to rodeos with my dad. He was a rodeo announcer. So I knew all this. There was just right. so many things. There were times when Tuff Hedeman and Cody Lambert stepped in and said, this is BS. There was a time Cody Lambert told the producers of the movie, why don't you just make a movie about a bull rider? Because right. like, most of this isn't right. true. And that's Hollywood. You know, yeah. that's Hollywood. But to capture the essence of the kind of heart and the man of faith, uh, well, not so much that, but the kind of person Lane Frost was. John Growney, who's in that movie, a stock contractor, told me many times, we all knew what kind of man Lane Frost was. It's a shame he had to die to tell the rest of the country 
what kind of person. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the one part of the movie that, that Elsie, his mom, who may listen to this actually, she follows me and messages me. It, the one thing that she wishes the movie would have covered is that he greatly became a man of faith, that he found is that Jesus. Right? Yes. Yeah. And that wasn't portrayed in the movie and that was very important to her and disappointing. Yeah. So I yeah, that as was- it is, as it is for, for people. I understand yeah. that. I understand that complaint. I also understand the complaint of tough or others that say this isn't, this isn't accurate. And I didn't even know that. And that's yeah. why it's important to someone because you know, the fiction becomes the reality. If you don't know the deeper facts. Yeah. Anyway, and there's guys that I think got screwed out of the deal. Cause there was Jim Sharp traveled with them. He was a major player in that whole career. And they just, you know, for Hollywood, it's easier to do three guys. You know, Jim Sharp right. was there. Clint Bronger was there. We know that in the rodeo world, but overall you're right. Transcended. So great to know. That, and Cowboy Up is a huge oh, yeah. thing. Now we have one in the PBR, Be Cowboy. It, that's our go-to, right? Hashtag Be Cowboy. So be Cowboy. Be yeah. Cowboy. So I mean, man, we had so many lines. It was, okay, boys, okay, boys. Whenever it was time to get ready to do something, yeah. you know, like he's got, they're strapping in. Okay, boys. Yeah. Um, what about the, when he says, of course, the double boys. <laughs> puss. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, no, lots of, uh, a lot of friends of mine were in that movie and guys I know anyway. Yeah. So uh, before, before you go, first of all, you said before we went on the air, hell, we can talk about country music if you want. Apparently, the King George Strait and Amarillo by Morning is your go-to country music. Is, is that country Listen. music to you? What is country music? Okay, now I I I, I give no <laughs> ground on this one. I mean, I, there I, I there'll be no humility or hey, you know, I will defer to you on rodeo. Certainly, cowboy up anything you know horse related. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you about country music. This is country music. <laughs> First of all, the 1970s is the heyday of country music, in my opinion. Mm. Outlaw country, Willie, Waylon, Merle, Merle, that's country. George is the king and probably always will be. You can put George Strait on at any moment in time, and everyone in the room should be happy. I think Emerald by Morning is my favorite single song of all time. But now, what I'm excited about, and it's been going on for a little while now, but this renaissance in real outlaw gritty country mm-hmm. i love chris stapleton yeah um i like sturgill simpson i love cody jinx there's a whole new group of guys jamie johnson who sound a little bit like the guys that i grew up loving and and and, and hearing authenticity in their music like waylon i love waylon um and i gotta be honest when i hear stapleton or simpson sometimes i hear waylon so yeah. that's my bit on country music i do like new country like pop country it's fine yeah i never get upset when it's on but sometimes it's a little bit like donuts it's empty calories i'll enjoy it but it isn't gonna sustain me when i'm drinking whiskey by myself on any given night or tequila or the good tequila the good tequila the good tequila Uh, those guys i just named are the ones that i will put on when it's time to really get serious from (laughs) from the time i was about 17 till now huge steve warner fan a little different, not outlaw country, but just solid. And he was on this show. And I will say I was, Logan can vouch for him. I was nervous. I was, yeah. I mean, this is Steve Warner, this is Steve freaking Warner. It, you ever been, uh, I'll let you go here. But I don't want to keep you all day. At any time, either ESPN or Fox, starstruck, very nervous, uh, a point where, boy, I hope I can, I hope I do this justice. Mm. Uh, any anybody you can think of off the top of your head 
Uh, well, I interviewed Aikman one time, but that was over radio, so I couldn't see him, and I was a little nervous. Um, no, not not very much. Flint. It, and I'm sure you've experienced it wears off. Like yeah. um, being famous doesn't become a, a – I will tell you, I there's a handful of people in this world that are on another level for me in terms of having earned my respect. And they – you know, um, I met the other day – I don't – I don't know if you'll know who she is, but her name is Ayan Hersi Ali. And she is a lady from, I believe, Somalia or Sudan. She suffered um, under really strict Islamist upbringing. And I mean, I believe it's pretty well known. I believe I'm getting this correct. She suffered female genital mutilation, the whole thing. And now she's just a wickedly smart, brilliant, strong, because there have been threats against her life consistently. She can't say where she is geographically at any given moment. She's a great writer. You'll see her published in the Wall Street Journal or books. And I met her. And that was when I felt something like because I was in the presence of real strength, like on another level. I told you I love Barkley. I have never talked to Barkley on air. I've talked to him off air and I consider it a great honor. Um, so fame doesn't do it. Right. But if you can, if you can show me that you're something more that that's when I start maybe getting a little nervous. Um, as you were talking, that reminded me, I'm a, I'm a big Dan Patrick fan as well. Yeah. I listened to him on the way here today. Uh, I, I, I like the way he interviews. I like the way it's a conversation. Oh, he's really good. Yeah. And yeah. He was interviewing a lady <clears throat> when you speak of fame and, and power intimidation. He was interviewing a lady that he had her on his show because she constantly would always every week ask Bill Belichick a question at his news conference and he'd roll. He would eye. make me nervous. And, and well, here's what, here's what she said. And I wish I re remembered her name again, but, uh, and he said, what do you, every week you take the abuse from Bill Belichick. And she said, let me tell you something, Dan. <laughs> and you can just hear her almost contempt in her voice. She said, I, I was working for a news station when the shooting at what was the elementary school in the Northeast? Uh, Sandy Hook. Yeah, Sandy Hook. I, I interviewed parents, asked them questions about what it was like losing a child in a school <sighs> shooting. She said, yeah. Bill Belichick's a football coach. Do, oh, you, yeah. do you think I have any bit of me intimidated? She went on this thing about Bill Bell and she ended with, he's a football coach, Dan. I can right. care less. That was the greatest, you know, she's been, again, in the presence of something painful, something real people were going through. Just a football coach. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, uh, that's a great, that's great. Uh, by the way, Kenny Rogers. I interviewed him, not face-to-face, -face, but on headsets. And I was like, oh, Kenny Rogers. He seems like the ones like that. I know that's not. But seems like the ones like that are the nicest guys. We talked for right. 15 minutes before we taped about Montana. Right. He had to get his boys up to, he's a photographer, blah, you know. It was great. Anyway. Absolutely. Um, Listen, I want I want you to know that uh, <clears throat> when I was at the the year I did the uh, the birthday party and you came up and called me by name and said Flint and said man I'm a fan good to see you that made not just my week that made my year we oh, man. you know I I just appreciate well, that and I appreciate all the work you do I, I'm I'm well, a let, big let me fan tell you Will. Flint. Um, 
I used to have, I mentioned him earlier, this dog named Leon. He was a Doberman. He was gorgeous. Okay. I used to take him for walks in Central Park and people would come up and be like, wow, your dog is so pretty. And that's what people do, you know? And then you say, oh, your dog's really pretty in return. Well, I can't do it. I have this like thing inside me. I can't return the favor unless it's real. So um, if your dog's pretty, I will tell you. And so when I say something, I promise you, I mean it. So when I told you I'm a fan, I meant it. I know who you are. I've known your work. I have not, I can't say I am a week in week out rodeo avid viewer, PBR avid viewer, but I have, it's been a part of my life, always in my circle of interest for many, many years. So I've known who you are and appreciate who you are. And I meant it. I'm a fan. I appreciate that before, before I let you go, as we record this, as this airs, it will have been about 10 days. New Will Kane podcast. Again, found a guy named Will Kane. What is your, <laughs> what is your goal and your direction on your podcast? Free, unfiltered, can expand upon any idea as long and as dangerously as I want, and then have fun, hear people tell me I'm wrong, do what you and I talked about, be willing to take an L. I'll take the loss if I have to, but maybe just maybe I'll prove to you that I'm right. I can't wait to do more of the Will Kane podcast. It'll be politics, news, sports, culture. It'll be everything that I'm interested in. I have a suspicion, Flint, and I hope I'm not lacking in humility. It's just the beginning for the Will Kane podcast. I have a suspicion it's going to be much more than it already is. I have a suspicion too. I'm a fan, Will, <laughs> and, and I want you to know, like I said, we have talked about all the things that I like to talk about. And that's why I had you today. And I, well, I appreciate you taking the time for us little guys up here in Montana. I really do. I don't consider it. you a little guy and I'll be here anytime you need. Me. You got it. Will Kane, everybody. Thanks buddy.